Hello and welcome to the Everything with Val podcast. Today I'll be speaking with Dr. Avonka. She has three degrees, one in psychology, one in sex, and one in business. Today we'll be discussing sex, relationships, and mental health. To be a bit transparent, it feels a bit weird to describe Ivanka in such tales because I've known her since I was like six years old and I remember coming home once and seeing her and her three, two other sisters lying on my dad's office floor because they were so jet lagged flying back from the States to come visit their family in South Africa. But nonetheless, here, how are you doing, Dr. Ivanka? Hello, thanks for having me. <laughs> Oh boy, that was quite a long time ago. You really, really aged me there, Val. <laughs> no, but I thought like when you messaged me, I was thinking about this memory the other day when you guys all came to, to Bedford View in Joburg and I just remember you guys all sleeping on the floor. I think it's like my first memory of all of you. <laughs> so when I read all of this and like read your bio and all of the things you've accomplished, it's just so weird that that's like where the journey started for us, right. like when I met you first, but obviously our parents, well, my mom and your mom have been friends since basically my entire life. Human well, they were high school. I actually have a photo of of our moms together from high school. Oh, really? You must send yeah. it to me. I I haven't seen that. I've seen a couple of them when they have their like Madonna hair, the, you know, these really curly <laughs> hairstyles, and when they played field hockey, but not nothing else. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I was just going to say, please introduce yourself for everyone else who hasn't known you since they were six. <laughs> sure, sure. So I'm Dr. Ivanka, and I am a board-certified clinical sexologist and a marriage and family therapist. I own a practice, a mental health practice out in Tampa, Florida. I don't currently practice out of there as I just ran the business and launched it for quite a while. And I stepped back probably about two years ago. And currently I am in Maryland after about a year long sabbatical, which is really nice. <laughs> so just beginning to start practicing again. Amazing. So what did you do on your year sabbatical? So my fiance and I decided to convert a school bus into a tiny home and we traveled the nation for a while. It was it was a really amazing experience and I'm really glad I didn't wait till I was retired to do that. Yeah, it sounds like such a fun thing because so many people have done that. They've like invested in tiny homes and then traveled, especially during the pandemic, because you can obviously travel quite safe to an extent I would say right I think yeah. in the US it became super popular oh yeah it's really really popular it's a it's a massive movement right now we met so many amazing people on the road families you know we have one family they're just so great they're what are they, eight people in a, in a bus they converted one of those big tourist bus and they have there's eight of them that live in there and they pull it off they've been on the road for a while and they love it Yo, that must be hectic. That's a little bit of small courses, y'all. <laughs> somehow they made it work, but... Yo, somehow they make, make it work. I guess most of the time you're outside, you know? You're not really spending that much time inside as you would in, in any normal house, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think that's the benefit, right? Like, we're going to speak about, like, relationships and all of those things. But right. maybe you solidify your relationships a lot more because you're spending it doing stuff not right. watching another person do stuff. Because, you know, if you're at home and you have a partner who maybe plays, like, video games you're not watching your partner play xbox right absolutely a lot of quality yeah. time but you also learn a lot i mean you're in each other's you know it jeff and i's relationship were tested quite a few times on that trip <laughs> but but i mean we learned so much about each other and i think ultimately it brought us closer together 
Yeah, I bet. And now you're you're getting ready for the next segments of your journey. You're becoming a mom. I'm becoming a mom. It is so exciting. I'm so <laughs> excited. <laughs> It'll be an adjustment, but I think we're we're gonna be okay. Yeah, and you have like a whole tribe to to help you out as well. I'm sure Walla is so excited to get another grandkid as well. Oh yeah. I'm another sure. one for Omar. Another one. She's got like what is that? Eight already? <laughs> is it eight? Yeah, Cat alone gave her five. Yeah. I didn't know that it was eight. Yeah, Cat has five. And Yvonne has two, but then they have Adrian, who's her stepdaughter. So that's like eight. <laughs> Yo, so voila, the Omar of eight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Nice. But yeah, to, to jump right into it. So for the first part, we'll talk about sex. And I think one thing that's really good to sort of define not only within sex, but in sort of a general sense, because a lot of people, I think, want to know what that means, especially like over the last couple of months and year, you've seen this sort of take different shapes, whether it's a result from, you know, love is blind, the bachelorette, now there's too hard to handle. But how would you sort of define intimacy? What does intimacy mean? So intimacy is something that I look at on a multiple levels. Um, and when you hear the word intimacy, you generally just sort of think, okay, well, that's physical intimacy. You think about sex and intercourse, but really intimacy, you, you can attain in different degrees. And a lot of times when I work with couples, I tend to, I tend to educate them on this part because you, you often find that there's one person who leans more towards the physical aspect of intimacy, and then there's another who leans towards the emotional or mental. And usually that's, you know, male and female. That's just a general gender difference there. But what happens is, is you tend to have physical intimacy, you have mental intimacy, emotional intimacy, spiritual intimacy, and lifestyle intimacy. And so I'll explain a little bit. So when you speak about physical intimacy, naturally that's affection, sex, foreplay, anything that involves touch. When you think of mental intimacy, I generally explain that is your ability to have intellectual conversations or, or really just any type of conversation about anything that... It, and really, when you look at a relationship, you want to be able to have balance in all of those categories. And they won't always be perfectly balanced, but you want to be able to utilize every one of those categories to gain intimacy with another person. If there's too much eggs in one basket, for lack of a better way of putting it, the others will be out of balance and that begins to put pressure on one another. So just to review what those are, when you have physical intimacy, you're generally referring to physical touch, affection, sex. When you have mental intimacy, you're referring to conversations, the ability to mentally connect, talk about things other than just your relationship, and enjoy conversations with each other. Mm. When you're talking about emotional intimacy, that's one another's ability to emotionally support each other in tough situations and grief and loss on bad days, just for the other person to feel supported. Spiritual intimacy is shared belief systems, shared values. Uh, shared morals. And even if you don't have the same morals, values, and belief systems, the ability to support one another's. So those are important. And then lifestyle intimacy is generally what I like to refer as just enjoying the same activities. And again, they don't always have to be the same, 
but even if you don't enjoy the same activities, you are able to meet each other in each other's world, that you have fun together and that you enjoy time together. Yeah, my my natural question or sort of challenge would be there, in all of those intimacies, do you think in order to make a healthy relationship or a viable relationship, do you think you have to have commonality in in all of them or just at least one? So the fact that you have to have something in common or some common interest or can you have nothing in any of them and still have a pretty functioning relationship you could have none you could have nothing in any of them and have a functioning relationship but that would really depend on where you're at in your lives so when I think about the one and it's really more about the right time than it is about the person you know there's a phrase right that says is the juice worth the squeeze and Really what I like to think about is is that you're going to be squeezing no matter who you're with. Relationships and intimacy, all that takes work. It takes work. So it doesn't matter who you are with. It's just who you choose to do it with. So I think the timing of your lives and not being in alignment matters more than having everything in common. Yeah, absolutely. I was listening to, to a podcast recently and what I was so shocked by is that over the course of the pandemic and sort of over this year, the statistics that have come out within intimacy and relationships is that this has been the lowest year for infidelity, but the highest year for divorce. Mm. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I'm wondering, so by that, are people trying to imply that people don't get divorced because they cheat? <laughs> or is it because that this has just caused people to obviously because of the health restrictions and everything, they didn't cheat, but they still got divorced at a higher rate because they were confined to, you know, they didn't have their break. Or, you know, if you are working in a factory or wherever, you have that separation where you go to the office and you're with your colleagues and everything, and then you come home and you spend X amount of hours, whereas not, or sort of over the last year, people have spent 24 hours. What do you think? I just thought that was a fascinating statistic. Well, it really is. And it really shines light on what the real issues are in relationships and marriages. You know, most of us think as an affair or infidelity or cheating as the first reason that most people get uh, divorced or separated or break up. And that's really not the case at all. You know, I generally tell couples I work with, especially when they're coming to me with affairs or infidelity, that, you know, this is both your faults. It's both your faults and neither your faults. There's you got to forgive yourself for not knowing what you didn't know till you learned it. And in some ways this needed to happen because had it not happened, you wouldn't be here actually getting to know one another. You know, we tend to enter relationships and marriages assuming that we should just know how to do these things and we should just instinctively get it right. But we're not taught this in school. We're not taught this by our parents. We don't know what we're doing half the time. And it really does take knowledge and it takes learning and education. And I think one of the biggest gifts that the pandemic gave us, although it may not feel that way for many, I think really has been the fact that we were forced to not only look at ourselves, but to look at our relationships in a way and say, what do I really want out of life? What do I really want from this person and from this relationship and from this marriage? And we don't know each other. I mean, we change so much within a day, within a month, within a year, just as people. And we stop making an effort to keep up with who each other, you know, who we are. So I think that a lot of that is coming from the fact that people were forced to be around each other all the time and maybe discovered that they just didn't, 
know, they changed too much and they just didn't like each other anymore or they didn't like who they were with that person anymore. Because being in affairs, it's a symptom. It's a symptom of the much deeper stuff. And when we're busy and distracted, we can ignore all that for much longer. For sure. Absolutely. And I think, you know, this has also changed also how people interact with each other. Like you can't, you know, come home and then sort of go your separate ways since everything is happening in those moments. You sort of have to create more intimacy, you know, make it special, put down the phones and or even with the phones, like do something together that isn't just a part of, I would say, the everyday life, at least in my perspective, for a lot of those intimacies. And I think as you were saying, it's not really taught in schools, like how to have, let's say, a functioning relationship or just be a person, a part of a like relationship in general, whether that's with a roommate or obviously with a sexual partner as well. But I think it's very, very surprising when you learn all of those different things, because I would say that's more useful than learning like calculus or Mm -hmm. some. Like I've never used that, but I definitely think that if someone taught me like in sex ed, like how do you do certain things? Like, how do you actually cohabitate with another person every single day? Because you're obviously working through a lot. I mean, there's financial stress for some people. There's intimacy stress. There's, you know, if you have mental health issues, there's that stress. And you don't learn any of that in school, how to cope with someone or how to cope if your partner has depression or, or any of that. Absolutely. I wrote a curriculum for a middle school once because really I think if we were to enter something like that into a school system, it should be around that age where you're able to start to internalize the meaning of these deeper emotional, you know, mental theories and understanding of things. And that's really when it matters. I mean, look at the amount of bullying and and things that we're dealing with in schools. That's all a byproduct of the fact that we are not giving enough attention to the emotional side of life and the the intel, emotional intelligence in general, it's just so far neglected. And I think that that's the large reason why we're dealing with the high levels of divorce in general. We just don't know how to cope with the struggles in a relationship. Yeah. And I also think that's a great age to do it as well. One for general safe practices. I remember when I went to the U S actually, and like a lot of, me and my friends were talking and we somehow got onto like questions about, you know, safe sex and being safe with the partner. And I remember one of my friends said to me uh, that she didn't think that you could get an STD from oral sex. And I was so surprised because as Mm. you know, in South Africa, we have a huge AIDS and a lot of STD issues in the country. So that is most of what we're talked in sex ed. So when I went abroad and I heard people from America, people from Europe and all of these what is considered to be developed countries speaking this way with real like unawareness you could say I was so shocked I was like well that's not true you should still get tested even if it's not intercourse but yes okay surprise (laughs) and then I think the the only caveat of that is also that if you taught it at that age I think people who are perhaps coming out or more fluid with their sexual lifestyle or anything like that, you could be a bit more vulnerable or if you want to say experimental, sure. But if you want to come out as something and you have this platform to do so, you can do it in a way that it's much more safe for you to do so. You don't have to feel as scared. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's incredible how undereducated we are. And, and I'll say quote unquote incredible because it's not a good thing. 
It's just when it comes to sexuality, it has been oppressed and stigmatized for such a long time, which really is just such a shame because there is so much empowerment, self-worth and self-love that lies within our ability to embrace our sexuality as a natural part of us. But instead, you know, we grow up in religion and certain aspects of religion and society that tries to get us to shut that down and to ignore it and to shame it and guilt it. And when you look at most of the real negative aspects of humanity, serial killers, things like that, a lot of them dealt with severe sexual guilt, shaming, sexual abuse, a lot of trauma surrounding sexuality. A lot of that sits at the core of those people. Yeah, and I think one other thing to that is also that, you know, if people just felt support from their sort of closest circle, obviously you were talking about religion or anything like that, but I think a lot of people are hindered by the effect of judgment. So if I go to my friend and I say, you know, I'm having sexual problems with my partner, what do you think I should do? But it's also this like sort of hesitation because how are they going to interpret? I don't have this, you know, magnificent sex life that right. you see on TV or anything like that. But uh, I was talking about this with another person the other day as well. When you go from a sort of environment in which you are tolerated, but rather celebrated, that makes a world of difference because you can walk up to anyone and be like, you know, I'm going through this struggle. What do you advise that I do? Or right. do you think that I should go see a sex therapist because me and my partner are having these issues? Absolutely. Normalizing the ability to have those supportive conversations. So what you described there is mental and emotional intimacy. And intimacy sure. is something that we should really practice with, with, with friends, family, not just our romantic relationships. Because if, you know, especially for males, males are very focused on the physical intimacy side of things. And again, that just comes from gender norms over the years. And I've seen a lot of that change too lately, but for men, that's, that's sort of a hyper focus. And I get a lot of couples where the male client is really upset because they feel like they're not having enough sex. And what does that mean? What does that mean? And really, if you just peel back the layers of the onion, all they want is more connection. So educating them and teaching them how to gain that intimacy and connection on the other levels really helped balance it out. And it makes a big difference. Yeah, and I think once you start normalizing what the examples I'm about to give, maybe not everyone agrees with, but then I think it allows people to be a lot more open with their interests. So let's say, for example, you know, you've had, I don't know how you feel about it, but I feel like people are becoming more and more open to everyone's sort of sexual interests, whether that's, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey or any of these things recently, Sex Life came out. And I think that just makes it that people can be, you know, as sexual as they want or as less sexual as they want it doesn't really change who you are as a person it's neither good nor bad that's just how you would like your sexual intimacy to be because not everyone fits one box right we all have different interests different you know pleasures and such so I just wanted to know how do you feel about people becoming more open to different interests or being at least able to speak about it on some level not everyone can either <laughs> Well, I mean, really, I think everyone should. I mean, my, that's my honest opinion. I think everyone should at least practice being able to communicate about some of those needs, even if those are just, you know, the simple vanilla needs. 
you should be able to still discuss some of that with your partner, significant other, husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, because that promotes vulnerability. And so that's also another really large problem that I'm seeing pop up in marriages and relationships is people's inability to be vulnerable. And a lot of that can comes from even that fear of having those discussions. Again, fear from being guilted and shamed. So you're putting yourself out there when you do that. And that can promote intimacy. So I really think it's it's a practice that everyone should take up, at least to a small degree. It doesn't have to be anything that's frequent, ongoing, or all the time, although that can be helpful. As far as alternative lifestyles, I'm in full support of those. I've seen so many situations where you know, people in open marriages or polyamorous relationships just have so much more success in their overall happiness in their marriage and their relationship. I've seen some in monogamous relationships that are able to attain that as well. It just, it really just depends on the person. I think generally monogamy is a little bit harder for us. It's it's just not in our nature to be monogamous. We're not wired that way. As humans, we just simply aren't. It's a practice. So we spend a lot of time in multiple different relationships growing up learning how to get that right. And so it takes work and it takes effort. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you how you feel about polygamy becoming more and more popular for people because I think obviously that works different. I know many people who would say they are completely abstaining from that side and I know like firsthand some people who are like yeah but that works for me and my partner we feel a deeper connection our needs are met in different ways where sometimes those can't be met by directly each other so we go out and get that met by others and we come back and this is our main relationship if you want to describe it as such but all of our direct needs are being met in some way shape or form and we feel more in love more happy and more desired by that Yeah, and you'll see a lot of couples in a polyamorous relationship. And I just want to define that difference real quick because she said polygamy, and that's usually if one of us... Yeah, polyamory, sorry. (laughs) No worries, I just just wanted to make sure we're on the same page. So yeah, polygamy is one husband having many wives, and then polyamory is many loves, right? Being Allowing yourself to be in love with one more than one person. And and again, you know, I think most of us are. We, We love more than one person many times in our lives, but... We don't allow ourselves. And, and, you know, it's not to say that you have to be physical with every person you love, but it's really important to accept the fact that you are going to like, love, or be attracted to people that you're not married to. And, and to embrace that part of yourself in a way where you're not guilty and shaming yourself. You don't always have to act on it, but you don't need to guilt and shame yourself because that can be very damaging. But a lot of polyamorous relationships report very high levels of satisfaction and happiness. I think sometimes there can create it can create a balance in, in a relationship for people because it's unrealistic to assume that one person and only one person can meet all of your needs for the rest of your life. Now, again, that doesn't mean you can't be monogamous. You can certainly be in a monogamous relationship, but you learn how to have some of those needs met in other ways that don't compromise your relationship. And it's the people who don't do that, that rely on each other for just about everything. Those are the relationships that don't make it. Yeah, I think, but I think in order to figure that out and to have an open conversation around that, you have to be quite confident in your relationship to be vulnerable and admit that, you know, saying that, 
oh, I'm not getting this specific need met by you. So I'm going to have to, yeah. obviously, if you are sort of, you know, you're someone who doesn't want to have multiple partners and such and only wants to have one and you both agree to that, then you have to have discussions around how you mm. both can figure out how to make that work as well. Because I think yeah. my next question was going to be is, do you think that people still ha truly have meaningful relationships, whether it's, you know, monogamous or multiple partners or you just not if we're going to use you know defining any relationship you're just single and doing your own thing do you think that people still truly have meaningful relationships today that's a tough one I think to some degree yes but not really quite as much as we'd all like to think I think we're all just incredibly overwhelmed with life in general you know, we have work hours that demand un you know have unrealistic demands of us we have so much more to manage these days than we ever did. And it's tough to keep up with. So being able to have that type of mean meaningful relationship and connection, again, it takes work, you know, and going back to what we were talking about earlier is we have to learn how to, how to even look at what our own needs are. So we have to learn and figure out, okay, what, what is my needs? What do, what do I need now? And even then that changes, right? So you figure it out. You, it's an ongoing assessment that you have to do of yourself. What are my needs? What am I missing? So A, you have to learn how to identify that. And then B, you have to learn how to communicate that too. And that's just something that we all lack, that we haven't learned. But I'm starting to see it come up more and more. You know, people are coming to therapy and people aren't embracing that. That stigma has been removed of mental health and therapy. And so people are beginning to ask the questions. What do I want out of life? What do I want out of this marriage? So I think we're getting there, but we still have some ways to go. Yeah, I think it, it just takes a lot of time and obviously open conversations. I think people, for example, even with therapy, whether it's for sex therapy, men, mental health, anything like that, people are more and more opening to having that discussion. Some people will say that it's a big trend to go to therapy now, I think. But I think obviously if you can make it work for you, why not? But I think having said that, because you're saying, you know, more and more now, like as days come, people are getting... Right. more meaningful relationships but what would advice would you give to someone who is looking to create a deeper meaningful relationship and that can be a friendship obviously yeah, the normative relationship or anything with a ship <laughs> I mean my first advice would be go to therapy trend or not you know therapy is relationship school it's the place where you both get to learn how to do these things that you were never taught and that you are not going to figure out on your own if if anyone was able to figure it out on their own, I would not have such a lucrative career. <laughs> but, you know, you need help. We all need help with these things. They're tough concepts. And it's just so that would be the first recommendation out the gate, hands down. Go to therapy. Give it a chance. It, you know, Do you're not. Go ahead. No, what I was going to ask is because you're promoting it so well, and obviously you have it from a one side perspective, but do you have, I'm not sure if you can share any, but do you have any like sort of stories that really warm your heart that, you know, whether it ended that they didn't stay together or a couple came and were on the brink of, you know, divorce, never speaking to each other again, and now lives a very happy life? Oh yeah, I have multiple of those stories. I have 
Oh, so many. And they've gone both ways. You know, I had one couple who were just, they came to me, they were on the brink of divorce and a brink of a nasty one too. Things were getting pretty heavy and heated. And and at first they were trying to stay together and they did the work and, and it went well. I mean, their attempts worked, but I think it was just a little too late. And for many people, wait till it's broken to fix it. And they came a little too late then it just didn't seem to, they just weren't there anymore. They had both changed so much, you know, so they had decided to separate, but they were able to do that in a healthy way, a healthy way for themselves, a healthy way for their kids. And now they're great friends. They go on double dates with their new partners. You know, they have a really healthy blended family. And I admire that so much because we cause so much damage to ourselves and to our children in divorces when we get nasty and vindictive. And usually that just comes from fear of change and adjustments and the hurt and the pain, of course. But at least with with their approach, I think they, they gave it a chance. They gave it a solid chance. They both tried and they both felt like they did what they could. And it just was, simply wasn't there anymore. So when they decided to separate, it was a mutual decision. Sure, it was hard and difficult at some points, but they were committed to the work. They were committed to themselves and to each other and their family. I think that, yeah, I think that's amazing because maybe it doesn't have that, you know, ideal fairy tale ending, but now they're making it work for their kids, for themselves, and are probably happier than what Absolutely. they were. Absolutely. And a lot of people expect it to be. Right. And a lot of people think that, you know, if you go to couples therapy, you're there just to fix things. You're not. You're there to figure it out and to figure it out together. Whether that be fixing it or not fixing it, it doesn't matter, but you're doing it together. And that really means a lot. That shows a lot, too, because at the end of the day, you loved each other as individuals. You chose each other as individuals to spend your life with and and to share your life with. That demands and should should receive some respect. And when you do anything in that type of respectful way, you can avoid a lot of the nastiness that comes with the rest. And I think one thing that we didn't actually mention as well is that if you leave a bad relationship, whether it's toxic, it was unhealthy, or it just didn't work out, I still think therapy is really good because that can cause trauma or baggage of its own so that you don't go into the next relationship being like, okay, that one was doomed. This one will be too. Because I think that's always interesting when people, you know, when you watch in movies or I hear my friends say, you know, I don't deserve happiness. And I'm like, why? I hope everyone deserves happiness. I hope out of the all things that we can experience on the planet is having happiness, love, security, kinship, friendship, what have you. Why would you be out of all people not deserving of that? Mm, so, yeah. Yeah. Is that, and you said that's a friend of yours? I mean, I've heard that from multiple people. I've mm-hmm. had people who've broken up with incredibly good partners just because they've had insecurities and in saying, you know, I didn't deserve that person. They were way yeah. too good for me. And that person genuinely loved them. They had a working relationship. It was just some obviously personal feel that I'll never understand that mm. stopped them from furthering that. And it would have been like people who have been dating people for years or had just met and just said internally, I'm not good for them. I won't bring them any happiness. But that person who had decided to be in that relationship said, this works for me. I'm getting my needs met by this person and I want to be with them. But unfortunately did not continue. Well, and that goes back to what we mentioned earlier. It's, It's not about the person. It's about the time. You know, that's indicative that that 
one individual just wasn't ready for that type of relationship. They haven't done enough work on themselves, on their own self-worth. And so truth be told, had they continued, it probably would have ended anyway. Most likely, yeah. Yeah. Some of them got back together. So I think it was just like weeks later. So I was like, okay, sure. Yeah, <laughs> Whatever works for you. It'll be but I think is they have to work on themselves. I mean, yeah. And couples therapy, that's one of the things I promote the most is working on yourself. Because if each person is focused on, you know, taking care of themselves and even meeting their own needs and keeping themselves happy, then the rest of it will be much easier to navigate through. Yeah, I think but I think that's a very big key word is working on yourself, because I can share a very vulnerable story with you now. It's the next section of our talk is discussing mental health. I remember when I was really, really probably at one of my worst or sort of lowest points with anxiety, I really went inward. I didn't speak to really anyone. I didn't really like speak about what I was going through or like just what I was experiencing at the time. And a lot of the anguish that I felt or sort of this this burden that I was feeling like that I felt alone and that no one would understand and the loneliness, I really did sometimes take out on Eric. And then from internal reflection and just saying, you know, this isn't the partner that I want to be. I don't want to just close up and never share anything and not see. So I remember when I started going to therapy and just saying, you know, take it one step, share something super small that you're scared to, but see how he reacts to it. And that's slowly what I did more and more. And then I built up to confidence and could say, you know, I could share every one of my fears with Eric and know that he wouldn't judge me, make fun of me, everything like that. He'll listen and then we'll discuss what I'm feeling about. And he'll say, okay, well, what makes you feel like that? Why do you have this fear or that feeling or any type of way? And I think it only makes you a better partner when you start working on yourself and then asking sort of not the right questions, but the necessary questions. It's not easy. It's really not. It wasn't a fun experience. And then also to admit that you are doing multiple, multiple things wrong. But I would hope that it becomes where you can say, you know, I feel like I'm a better partner and that my partner feels that I'm you know I he can feel reliant on me or in his time of needs he has the same support system and I think that's really important oh absolutely that reaction I mean that's the emotional that's the emotional intimacy right you had learned you'd both learned how to develop that throughout that time period you had to learn how to be vulnerable and he had to learn how to react to that vulnerability in a way that was going to make you feel safe and secure Yeah. And I think it's also not taking off the pressure for him to always know what the right thing to say is because he doesn't (laughs) like he doesn't always know what to say or what the right thing to do is. And it's just if he says, I don't know, I appreciate it even more because it's not like he's he's not bullshitting me. He's not like, oh, do this like this is he's like, I don't know, but let's figure this out. Right. Like, Let's come together and try and help. Like if you want the support. And then I think there's two different ones. And I practice this with Eric and with friends as well. I'm like, what you're telling me right now, do you want advice or do you just want me to listen? Because that's two different things. Oh, where you can feel like, Yeah. Where you can feel like you can run, get everything off of your chest. Or do you really want someone to like, yeah, criticize both sides and give you sort of the most objectified opinion? Or do you just want to be like, listen, my boss pissed me off today. Just hear me out. <laughs> Great. Let's do that. Just let me unload, right? I think that's an excellent, that is such an excellent habit to form because it's, we do that in our relationships and part of, you know, 
again, bouncing back to something we mentioned earlier was how we tend to assume that this one person should meet all of our needs for the rest of our life. And then we put everything on them. We put our happiness on them. We unload on them and it just becomes heavy and no one person can handle that. So you have to be able to start differentiating when to put it on that person versus when to handle it yourself or maybe go to someone else in your support system. But more importantly, be able to ask for that permission in a sense. Can I just unload on you? Are you in a space where you're able to be here for me? For I think there's a lot of respect that comes with the ability to do that. Absolutely. And I see, I mean, I completely like admire my friends as well when they also then elevate that and then they go and they tell me you know it's either me or their partners and they say you know my mental health is really bad right now so I'm really struggling to form physical intimacy or or participate in any form of physical intimacy it really I don't feel any desire for it I have no you know drive for it so what do you think I should do I mean I I have no idea I think the first thing is obviously if you're in therapy talk about it speak about that and also explain that to your partner so that they you feel whatever you pressure you have on you is removed because I don't think there's any like if you are really healthy partners that there is any pressure so that if you don't feel well where would the pleasure come from right yeah libidos libido is a really tough topic because we tend to take that so personally if our partner isn't really on the level we're at with that necessarily, but we neglect to remember how much, again, libido being something that we assume is just instinct that we should just naturally have, but that fluctuates so many times throughout our lives, especially for women. It's a little bit you know, different. Men tend to have a little higher libido. And then when, like I said, we take it personal and we really shouldn't because there's medications that can affect that, your general level of movement and exercise, work stress. Stress is the ultimate killer of libido. So a lot of people are struggling with that right now, largely because we are under so much stress on a day-to-day. So my primary focus in therapy right now, and really honestly for the past probably say year, I'll even go as far as saying the past 10 years of my work in therapy has been focused on stress management. It's amazing how many people don't realize that stress management is something that you have to actually implement into your weekly routine. It's not something you have to do every day, but you definitely want to do it weekly. You have to proactively stress manage. Otherwise, the other areas of your life will be heavily impacted. Do you have any examples of stress management? Yeah, stress management would be going for a walk. You know, I I generally recommend clients of mine take two to three times a week, just going for a 15 to 20 minute walk, nothing excessive, just go for a walk. If you do exercise, exercise is great. Do some hobbies. So you really need to do something like painting or adult coloring, pottery. I don't care what it is, wood burning. You just need something else that can take your conscious attention away while your subconscious compartmentalizes. Puzzles, those things are great. Stretching. I generally Puzzles recommend- can actually cause some stress. Have you <laughs> seen some of these intense puzzles, like these 10,000 ones, and then they have like curvy... That can also be stress-inducing on some level, especially if you do it as a family, because then it's like family stress. So I agree, but some of them can cause stress as well. Well, well, we don't want that. You know, if you're doing a puzzle for yourself, you obviously want to keep that balanced. But yeah, it just depends. But it's it's really just anything like that. Another thing I recommend is stretching. Like I, it, I 
tell people to take maybe 10 minutes in the morning or in the evening and just get on the floor, close your eyes, take a couple of deep breaths and just stretch. Feel where the tension is in your body and just stretch. Anxiety, depression, um, panic, those are all symptoms of stuck emotion and feeling and, and thoughts. You know, emotion, feelings, and thoughts are, it's energy and it stays in your body and it sort of just circulates. And over time, it just circulates and circulates and eventually it just explodes, right? And it gets worse. That's stuck. So you need to move your body. You need to stretch it out. You need to give your body an opportunity to release some of that. And the mind has to compartmentalize. So those hobbies help. Journaling is really a fast track to any healing. Therapy cliche, but it works better than anything else I can recommend. Yeah, I would completely agree because the only way sort of to get over it or is to get through it. You have to communicate through everything and, you know, feel through all of those because the more you avoid it, the more it builds up. And then, as you said, it overruns. The only thing, the one you were mentioning it previously, which I think is quite ironic that some of the you were talking about medications that, you know, limits libido or can have an effect on sort of sex drive is birth control. One of my friends said the best things to me. She said, you know, well, I stopped taking birth control because it was the number one thing that decreased my sexual libido. And here I'm taking something that would help me when I'm having casual sex. And I was like, oh, that's super interesting and ironic because it's the same when um, you're sort of reading uh, about, you know, what can help anxiety or depression. Or when I speak to my friends who, for example, have depression and everyone says, you know, sex is something that can really help with that. And I'm like, yeah, but if you don't have sex drive, that would be kind of hard. But I hear what you're saying. Both yes and no. I mean, you're right. But that's another mistake a lot of us make. We wait for this like libido and this fire in our loins before we do anything. And especially as you get older, that's not going to be there. It's going to change. You know, it's going to be up and down. It's going to stabilize and be gone sometimes. And you have to learn how to nurture that physical intimacy without waiting for that feeling. If you don't use it, you lose it. So, you know, that's another aspect of that is that you you almost have to masturbation is something that you should do regularly. I encourage that to a lot of people. I mean, for your stress levels, mental health, but also for your ability to keep your libido alive. I think it's a necessary component. No, absolutely, you're you're absolutely right. I think there it was just when people say that it's always this one way trajectory. The only like sex is only with another person. I think that can come in multiple forms because it as you just explained, rightly so, that's also self-pleasure as well, or different things. Maybe it's doing things to your partner so that you can feel better. I mean, that's always different for everyone as well. But I think to just round off everything, if those who are struggling with this, with intimacy, with relationships or mental health and their sex drive or anything, I would say that to round everything off, you you would say the first thing to do if you're struggling is to, to seek therapy or Maybe speak to a friend or family member, or what would you say? I mean, I would definitely seek therapy. Seek out a professional. You know, we we know we study these things. We work with them. We understand them on levels that your friends and family might not. And you're if most people are already struggling still with that shame and guilt. So it just depends on the relationship you have with friends and family. But in, and depending on how much is impacting your life, if this is something that's really impacting your life speak to someone. If it's affecting your relationship, speak to a professional. I work for Talkspace now too. And that has been such an amazing gift, I think, for people because 
I love the journaling aspect and Talkspace is online therapy. So you're kind of getting both. You have the ability to actually, I think there's so much power in writing through what you feel. It gives the brain somewhere tangible to put these things. And when we just think through them, we come to a conclusion, our mind doesn't quite remember that we already thought this through. So it keeps bringing the thoughts over and over and over. And that's that stress and anxiety, right? So when you release it in written form, you kind of put it somewhere and you're able to let it go more. So I think Talkspace has just been amazing in that it has that writing component. You can do video sessions too. It's been, I think it's just been awesome for people and it's worldwide. So you can, you can join it from anywhere. I have numerous clients all over the world. And so I would definitely recommend starting there. Yeah, wow. But I I think it's been an incredibly inform, informative time to chat with you. But I think on that note, you just mentioned a little bit, but thank you so much again, Dr. Ivanka, for joining the Everything With Val podcast. But if people want to chat with you directly about these things mm-hmm. or want to ask you for help to f- seek other resources more locally, where can they find you? So I do, my, you can find me on my own website with my company, which is lovinglifetoday.com, or really they can just email me at drivanka.com at lovinglifetoday.com. So I'll spell that out. Dr. Ivanka would be D-R-Y-V for Victor, O-N for no, K-A at lovinglifetoday.com. I do private sessions as well, international, and those are remote. So I'm happy to help. Amazing. So if any of you need help, please seek it because it's always there for you. Please don't feel like you're alone. And thank you everyone again for joining the Everything with Val podcast. I encourage you all to please rate, review, subscribe to the show. And as always, please connect with me and let me know if there's anything you want me to discuss. Have a great week. Stay safe. Thank you, Dr. Ivanka. Bye-bye. My pleasure. Bye.